one thing that we can get straight is scripture, right? So let's turn to scripture. Our scripture readings today, we're continuing our series on the I am statements of God. And so we are finding ourselves back in the book of Exodus. And so listen for the word of God. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you. And when, he, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. He, shall in, he indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. Take in your, sta- in your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs. And then in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings, with with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Who are we that we should receive your call? Allow these words to sensitize us to your voice and to wonder what your voice is calling us to do, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 24 centuries ago and almost five centuries before the birth of Jesus that the Athenian army and the Persian army met to do battle. Persia, with its massive military force, was sent to invade Greece, and the world knew that the Athenians didn't stand a chance. And yet, instead of surrendering, the Athenians met the Persians head on. They went to battle on the plain of Marathon. And in a single afternoon, the Athenian army did what no one in the world expected them to do. They defeated the invading Persians. They sent them into retreat. It was an incredible victory. Now, the legend goes that that the general of the Athenian army commissioned a soldier by the name of Pidipides to run back to Athens and tell them the news. And the message that he was to deliver was a one-word message. Victory. Victory. That's all he needed to say, nothing more. Now, the distance from Marathon to Athens was 25 miles. And so entrusted with this one-word message, Pidipides ran, and he ran the entire 25 miles to bring the news of victory. And when Pidipides arrived in Athens after running 25 miles, he shouted his one-word message, victory, 
and he collapsed and died. You know, hardly a weekend goes by in this country where there is not somewhere a group of crazy, thin-bodied people gathering at a starting line, waiting to hear a gunshot that releases them, and they begin a race in honor of the man named Pedipides. And they run a marathon. I would wager that somewhere in the United States right now, there is somebody running a marathon, 26 miles, 385 yards. I have no idea where that extra mile and 385 yards came from, but that's what they run. And the people who choose to run a marathon are there for different reasons. Some are there to actually win the race. I call them crazy people. Some of them are there to actually finish the race. That's a little bit more like it, but still crazy. And some are simply there to survive the race. And that would be me and hoping not to end up like Pedipides. But you can pretty much count on the fact that in the modern marathon, no one finishes the race with a message to share. That's not the purpose of the modern marathon. The purpose of the modern marathon is to run for the sake of running to run, but without a message to deliver. Now, I suppose it would be safe to say that your life and my life can sometimes be compared to a marathon. Most of our days we run from here to there, and at the end of it, we kind of fall exhausted into our beds at night. And maybe we think back and trace our steps and wonder what we did all day, and you put a bunch of those days together and you add stress and the truth is that we feel like we're running a marathon. Sometimes we even feel like we're sprinting a marathon. But the question is, as we run and run and run, do we have anything to say? Do we have a message to deliver? As we stand there at the end of the day, panting and exhausted, do we have a word to say? And of course, the word that we usually say to describe our lives is busy. You know how the exchange goes. You walk up to a friend and you ask, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Well, what have you been, what have you been doing? Well, nothing. Nothing. Busy, busy, nothing. It explains to me the conversations that I have with people when they talk to me about having full calendars, feeling like we're running from one thing to the next, but we don't know what for. Some people even say that they feel like one of those gerbils on one of those wheels, running, 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 not getting anywhere. But what for? Have you heard yourself say that? So many are running with very little to say. But as soon as I say that, we know that it's not true. It's true, the running. It's true that we may not be saying much, but it's not that we don't have something to say. At least I hope so, right? As followers of Jesus, we gather here on Sunday mornings. We sing our songs, we say our prayers, we recite our faith, we read the scriptures, we preach the gospel, we do so much. We say so much on a Sunday morning, but then we hit the pavement and we start running and all of a sudden we get tongue-tied. It's like the old joke, what do you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness with a Presbyterian? You got somebody standing on your porch with nothing to say. You know, in our text today, Moses has a marathon. He settled into the world in, of his liking in Sinai, and he's managed to escape Egypt. 
And then Moses all of a sudden gets the call to go back to Egypt, and he sets his marathon toward Egypt to deliver the Israelites from their cruel bondage to slavery. And God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh, go and tell him, let my people go. It's Moses' marathon. He's got his word. But then he tells God, I'm a little bit tongue-tied. I don't really speak all that well. I can't get the words out the way that I want to. And with his handicap, he's hoping that God is going to let him off the hook. Let somebody else be the person who's going to say it, Lord, because I don't have what it takes. And God says, not so fast, Moses. I'm going to be with your mouth. I'm going to teach you what to say. Have you ever felt called by God to do something but made all kinds of excuses not to do it? You know, that is one of the great adventures in life when God does not let us off the hook, but instead pushes us into the midst of our marathon to do the work of saying what needs to be said. Some of you have seen the movie, The King's Speech, which captures the difficult times of King George VI of England. The throne was thrust upon him through the abdication of his brother, and King George never wanted the throne due in no small part to the fact that he couldn't speak well. He had a terrible stutter. How can you be a king of an empire and not be able to speak the way that you wish? And so when Hitler invades Poland and the British knew that there was no choice but to enter the war, it was left to the stuttering king to speak to his empire. History wouldn't let him off the hook. And so he steps to the microphone and says, it is today's high purpose that I now call my people at home and my peoples across the sea who will make our cause their own. I ask them to stand calm and firm and united in this time of trial. The task will be hard and there will be dark days ahead and war can no longer be confined to the battlefield, but we can only do the right as we see the right and reverently commit our cause to God. You know, sometimes, most of the time, it's not how you say it, it's whether you say it. I suppose it's one of the easiest human endeavors to come up with all the reasons why we shouldn't be the ones to share the gospel of Christ. When Isaiah has his vision of the Lord in his temple high up on a throne, he speaks the truth when he confesses that he has unclean lips. Woe is me. I dwell in a land of unclean people. No truer words have ever been said. I suppose none of us is really qualified to share the good news. But God touches the lips of Isaiah with burning coals, burning coals of God's grace. And it allows Isaiah to say, here am I, send me. That is the greatest adventure of the spiritual life, when you and I give ourselves a chance to see not what might disqualify us from being messengers of the good news, but to go deeper and hear God say, not so fast. You've got a word to share. The grace, the unmerited grace to speak the good news, because that's what we have, right? We have the good news. We are the people of the good news, the gospel. It's what that word means. It's not the bad news. It's the good news that God loved the world in Christ, that God gave himself to the world in Christ, that God sacrifices to the world in Christ, that God accepts all children of the world as his own. 
And Sundays when we celebrate communion at the table, we are all. The entire world is accepted by God. The world finds its true communion with God. I want you to imagine for a second. Imagine the people of your lives who need to know that they have been accepted by the unconditional love of God. Imagine the people in your life who may have heard that maybe they're not accepted, or maybe they're not good enough, or maybe they're not welcome, or maybe they're too far from God, or maybe they don't have the right purpose for their life. All the negatives speak of the world. And then imagine through your grace-touched lips those same people hearing, hey, I go to a place on Sunday mornings where I get reminded that I'm loved by God. I go to a place where I'm challenged to live a life of purpose. I go to a place where my sins are forgiven. I go to a place where I'm freed from the negativity of the world. I go to a place where I can hear that word victory over and over and over again. Victory. We underestimate the power of God's word, don't we? We underestimate the hunger that the world has for good news. The sad and conflicted world needs good news. Several years back in Pittsburgh, there was a steel strike, and management and the union were miles apart. And it looked like the industry was going to remain at a standstill for months until a steel worker by the name of Dave Griffiths couldn't take it any longer. And so he left his place on the picket line and felt that God was telling him to do something. And so unannounced and uninvited, he stormed into the negotiating room of labor and union. And he went and he pled for the two sides to reconcile their differences for the sake of the people of Western Pennsylvania. And shortly after the strike ended, perhaps this man had great courage to leave the factory floor and walk into that boardroom, but also more so, because Dave Griffith was a severe stutterer. He was mortified to speak in front of people, but found a way to say what needed to be said. You know, Mary did the same thing, didn't she? You remember Mary, Mary Magdalene? Called a sinner, evil, possessed, first century woman. She had no place in society. Her job was basically to remain silent. And she had all the excuses for why she should keep her mouth shut, but rather Mary showed up at a great battle 20 centuries ago on the mountain called Calvary. And then she showed up at the grave. And when they rolled the stone away, she saw that death had been conquered by life. And off she went to share the message that maybe no one was gonna listen to. Maybe no one would even believe a message that she didn't even know if she was saying correctly, but off she went on her marathon. And before the disciples, she said, I have seen the Lord. And those of us who hear her know what she's saying. She's saying victory. We've seen the Lord, no more prisoners, no more shame, no more condemnation, no more east or west or north or south, all are invited. All are accepted. All have a place. Friends, that's the good news. That is the victory. And the only thing left, the only thing left, 
is for us to say it. Amen.